What also makes my size special is that it is regional. And so because it is regional, we can really help students better connect to science and connect to their communities um, that they know and love. Welcome to Rotten Apples, where we share the best ideas in education, whether it's learning space design, restorative practice, or simply teacher self-care. We're learning from the experts who cut through the BS and find out what's really working and what's not in our classrooms and schools, making St. Louis home to the best educators in practice today. Okay, everybody, today I'm so excited about this conversation because we are going to be addressing the science curriculum in the area. And as you know, in St. Louis, there are all, well, all of our subjects are critical. You know, they're all important. They all create really well-rounded kids that are going to be our neighbors and our friends and our politicians and our colleagues and our researchers. But science in particular really does have a very, very prevalent pace place. It always has actually in St. Louis, but going forward, it's definitely going to be critical. And so today we are going to be talking with Jeannie Norris, who is the K-8 coordinator of the Institute for School Partnership at Washington University, and Dr. Rachel Ruggiello, who is the associate director of the ISP at WashU. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much. So great to have you guys here. Okay, I'm really excited to have this conversation because I had such a love-hate relationship as a student <laughs> with science. Um, I absolutely loved it when I got to bring, you know, organs into my locker and store them. I, my mother thought it was disgusting. Um, but I also remember very clearly going into classrooms and doing worksheet packets after worksheet packet after worksheet packet over and over and over again, many, many days. And, you know, while we've made some progress in this area, we still have a little ways to go. And so I wanted to learn a little bit more about the two of you and what the ISP does so that we can share a little bit with the teachers in the area. But before I get into the ISP, can you both talk to me a little bit about your own journey personally in education? Sure. So um, I think about science and I still remember kind of the very first experiment I did in fifth grade. Uh, where I tested my actual teeth into in a variety of different substances to see what could happen. Um, and I think I've always just been really interested by science and asking questions and being curious about the world around me. I think my love for science really solidified in high school um, because I had a cousin who had muscular dystrophy. Um, and I think that that disorder, really the science of it and thinking about how those things can impact children and society was really kind of always where um, I kind of saw the power of science and understanding around it um, as a way to solve problems in the world, such as disease. Um, in college, I studied biology um, as well as sociology because I was really interested in kind of the intersection between education, science education, and kind of social justice work. So um, at the end of college, I became a teacher through Teach for America, and I taught high school biology, chemistry, and uh, advanced placement psychology in Camden, New Jersey. I taught there for about four years, and after that, really thought about, you know, I wanted to have a greater impact um, on other teachers and on children. And I moved to the St. Louis region um, and became a part of the Institute for School Partnership in 2009. 
And so since 2009, I've been here working with um, a variety of schools um, on close partnerships, improving science, teaching and learning, um, and supporting teachers in the region to really do what is necessary to create the next generation of problem solvers here in the region and, it, and with a focus on equity so that all children have the opportunities, um, no matter what they do. Jeannie, how about you? So I was, when you were talking about your first experiences, I was trying to think back to mine. And I think that when I was in elementary school, I had to do this science fair project and I had no connection to it whatsoever. I don't even know why I chose it, but it was like how different cleaners work or air fresheners or something like that. And I just wasn't very interested in it, wasn't very connected to it. But when I think about science for me, when I was a child, I didn't know what I was doing with science, but I loved going outside and catching butterflies and catching fireflies and uh, looking at flowers and things like that. And I, I loved a good guidebook. You know, the library was my friend as a child. And so I would spend my time like figuring out which butterfly I caught or which moth I caught. And that was kind of my, my first step into figuring out that I really love nature and I really love looking at the world around me and, and asking questions. And I'm sure that Rachel saw that when we were in San Diego because I was just flipping out seeing the tide pools and seeing limpets and barnacles. And I just, it was astonishing to me. Um, so that, that was kind of, I think, what made me love science, but I didn't really have a name for it um, when I was younger. And when I was in high school, I had a lot of really strong female science teachers. Um, and I think that that really helped me feel confident to do science. Um, so, you know, I, I loved anatomy. I loved AP biology. Um, and when I went to, to college, I, I wanted to study education. And I chose life science um, because of those female teachers. They just meant so much to me and I learned so much from them. Um, so that's really why I became a teacher was I loved my teachers so much and I loved school so much that I just wanted to keep going with it. Um, but teaching is a lot harder than, than everybody else made it look, I guess. Um, and so I saw an opportunity um, to leave the classroom and Rachel gave me that opportunity. Um, and so I've been, I've been writing curriculum ever since. I think I'm actually a writer at heart and an editor at heart. That's what I see as my strength, so that's what I'm happy to be doing here. That's great, and all that years of experience between both of you, not even just uh, as professionals, but also as students that can inform your practice, that's fantastic. And I really don't know what you're talking about. Teaching is like the easiest job in the world, so <laughs> everybody knows that. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's dive in here. Um, so Tell us a little bit exactly about what the ISP is and how did this project even get started? Because it's relatively new, right? Well, you know, actually the Institute for School Partnership, which is an independent center now under the provost's office at Washington University, was actually kind of started in the late 1980s. So Sally Elgin, who was a WashU biology professor, um, her children went to school in University City. And she was really interested in how to connect the resources and expertise of the university to the local community. Um, so U City being like the local high school situated right next to WashU, she really wanted to figure out how WashU with such a strong research background and really strong faculty could support the science teaching and learning going on um, in the high school. So she had an initial focus on environmental science and genetics 
um, at the high school and worked specifically with University City. And then in 1990, uh, Science Outreach was founded kind of on this principle. Um, and Science Outreach then eventually became what is now the Institute for School um, so from the initial program that was really science focused and outreach focused, ISP has now grown. Um, we now reach more than 2,500 teachers and 100,000 students each year. Um, and we work with districts from all the way from Warren County to Granite City to Ferguson Forest to Northwest. So kind of within an hour radius of the university itself. Um, and the mission of the ISP is really about achieving equity in K-12 education um, by giving all children high quality educational programs and supporting and empowering their teachers and the leaders in the school building to do that. Um, and over time, the ISP has changed and morphed and um, grown in different ways. So we now have a number of different programs. Um, we have a K-12 Connections program, which is on campus which provides services um, so that uh, school can connect with WashU either through a field trip or uh, can get WashU students to come to the school for an event. We have a STEM teacher quality program, which is a two-week institute in the summer for teachers, where it's focused on STEM awareness um, and identity building so that our K-8 teachers really understand what STEM is and what that looks like and can bring that back to their students. We have a master's program in biology that's uh, offered through University College. And these are just a few of the many, many programs that the Institute has um, right now. And we're continuing, you know, our, our superpower is really about partnership. And so we think we're really great at um, working with civic-minded corporations, uh, K-12 schools, the university itself, private foundations to collectively pool resources and think about how to support our overall mission um, to improve teaching and learning in the St. Louis region and to better prepare our students to have those jobs of the future um, that will be here in St. Louis. Uh, and we want our students to be prepared to fill those as well as to be great citizens who can use science to make good decisions at the polls um and in their daily lives oh that's great so it it's an older organization but it's taken a lot of different twists and turns and a lot of new partnerships a lot of new directions and um but it started kind of in this science area and so in kind of talking about that, tell us a little bit about MySci and the, um, what, well, so tell us about MySci in particular. Like, what is that program really about? What does that curriculum do? Um, and what are, you know, when you talk about the kits, especially that you guys have, I mean, what are some of your favorites? Yeah, so the MySci K-8 curriculum program, our whole goal is to develop the next generation of scientific thinkers. We want to engage our students in STEM through really interactive learning experiences. Um, and we started in 2005 with a grant from the Monsanto Fund, now Bayer Fund. And our curriculum was really developed in partnership with a lot of different stakeholders. So we brought in, we had the Institute for School Partnership staff, people like me. We had university experts like faculty and graduate students that would come in and share their knowledge with uh, teacher writers and with us. Um, and, and read our, our curriculum to make sure that it is really high quality. 
Uh, we developed our curriculum in partnership with the Missouri Botanical Garden, the St. Louis Zoo, the Science Center, Forest Park, Forever, um, and most importantly are our local teacher writers. Um, so we would bring in writers for the past three summers, um, as well as several years back when the initial K-5 units were written. And the teachers would come and they would write lessons based on uh, their experience in the classroom, their expertise in the classroom. Um, so really our, our curriculum is so rich because we've brought all of these different people together um, to create it. And it includes everything that teachers need if they want to do high quality science teaching. So they get the lesson plans, they get the student journals, there are pre-post assessments as well as formative assessments embedded in the curriculum. Um, of course, they do get the kits of materials, which are so very important, as well as professional development on the kits, which is a critical component as well. And our lessons are aligned to the Next Generation Science Standards and to Missouri Learning Standards. Um, so that, that's our curriculum in a nutshell. Um, but in terms of favorite kits, we were talking about this earlier, and it's really hard to pick <laughs> what our favorite kits are, um, because they each have their own little things that make them special. Um, the first one that came to my mind is Birds, Beaks, and Babies. And that is a fifth grade, or I'm sorry, uh, it's unit five, but it's a first grade kit. Um, and students get to do what's called a bird beak buffet. So they get to use tools like pliers and, um, um, I'm losing the word for it, the pipette, um, to simulate different bird beaks. And so they get to crack sunflower seeds with the pliers. They get to take up nectar with the pipette. Uh, they get to use scissors to simulate how a hawk might cut through clay or flesh. Um, so they get to do this really fun uh, sort of thing to teach them about the structure and function of bird beaks and how they uh, are adapted to help the, the birds get the food that they need. Um, and I think it's really cool because it's typically a thing that might, be, might have been talked about in high school or junior high, and first graders can do it and they can talk about it. And they have lots of fun doing it too. Oh, yeah, uh, first graders. First. I want to do that. I know, exactly. It's really fun. When we do the PD, teachers love doing it. Um, we model the lesson, and it's just a blast. Uh, but my favorite curriculum unit is Unit 21, and it's really special to me because it's it has received the NGSS design badge from the National Science Peer Review Panel from Achieve. So it's up on NGSS website, and it's one. It's the first. I'm really happy to say this. It's the first K-5 unit to receive the design badge, which is the highest quality in the nation. And only three percent of the eight percent of <laughs> units that have been sub submitted get the design badge. Um, so in that unit, it's called from sun to food, and kids figure out how a pizza comes to be. So they get to think about ecosystems and matter and energy, um, and they develop a model of a perfect pizza farm, and they use self-documentation technique to solve human-caused problems around their school. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. And if you guys ever have a chance to get over to the ISP, I'm not kidding, the warehouse <laughs> looks like Home Depot. It's just, it's crazy big. There are, there. I saw people assembling kits when I went by, and it just, Try to imagine a makerspace times like 50. It's just absolutely huge. And there's so many different really fun, exciting projects. And, you know, while it's awards are really like we, we love them. We love being recognized for things. But to be recognized at that level, I mean, it kind of says something about our system that we don't value 
that kind of education at that at the fifth grade level in the same way that we like to do it at, at higher levels of achievement. And so that in particular is a really, um, it's a fantastic recognition of not just the work that you guys are doing, but of what our younger kids can achieve science. We need to give them a little more credit. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, we love bringing teachers in to the MySci Resource Center and kind of walking through the halls. We kind of watch their eyes get really big and <laughs> they light up with joy of like, you know, this is a science teacher's dream to be able to access all of those materials. Mm -hmm. And as we have brought teachers in, so our curriculum is really written for and by teachers. So every time, every single unit that we have, teachers have written, teachers have tested, teachers have piloted and given feedback on. Um, and one of the greatest units for me is the one that we recently completed last summer, which is a fifth grade unit called Science in St. Louis. Um, and what's really cool about it is that it's completely place-based and relevant to our kids. And so in this unit, students apply knowledge of science and engineering to many of St. Louis's local attractions, including the Arch, the Riverfront, Bush Stadium, the City Museum, and they think about the variety of things around them that they may visit with their families. Um, and how the science that they're learning can explain what's going on, why that slide is so fast, um, why that uh, batter can hit a home run, uh, why the arch can withstand a lightning strike. So it's really a fun unit and it was developed after serving 500 fifth grade students to see what local phenomena most excited them. And um, it's been, it was really fun to write and kind of see come to fruition. Um, that's what also makes my size special is that it is regional. And so because it is regional, we can really help students better connect to science and connect to their communities um, that they know and love. Yeah, and that I think is, is particularly important because I mean, understanding phenomena all over the earth is obviously very important for kids, but when they can see it right in front of them and it's something that's relevant, that's gonna stick with them you know, for years, they're always going to be able to remember those things. So that, that I think is really important. But so in following up with that, why do you think then some science teachers, um, even with programs like my Sci around, I mean, it's uh, a lot of these are not quite as big or as robust as my Sci is, but they, the kids like this um, experiments, activities, they've been around, you know, for a little while. But even with my side here, why do some of them still, do you think, stick to like this lecture test worksheet format? Um, what barriers do they have to, you know, having this really hands-on approach? And do you have any ideas about how people can overcome that? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest barriers we hear from our teachers is time. You know, at, especially at elementary school, teachers teach every single subject. They're encouraged to spend most of their instructional time on ELA and math. Um, and even though that research, even though research shows that teaching science can boost students' ELA school skills, it's difficult to fit in these discrete lessons. You know, they have a curriculum for ELA, a curriculum for math, and a curriculum for science. And so finding those instructional minutes can be really difficult. Um, and I think that the, we try to work with teachers around integration. So my side really does integrate ELA and math. And so we try to focus on where those opportunities are. Um, and how we can then reinforce science during center time. So using a STEM center to reinforce math skills, to a research center to reinforce science, but also literacy skills. Um, but it pacing and time is really a challenge. And I think at middle school, 
time is also still an issue because there's a renewed focus on depth over breadth, but teachers still feel like there's so many concepts that students are expected to develop. And because over time, they may not have had a very robust elementary education in the past, they're coming in with maybe some gaps at middle school. So we're hopeful that now that the MySci is out there and really has removed a lot of barriers for our elementary teachers, they are going to come into middle school with some of that background knowledge that's gonna help our middle school teachers really work through and deepen their understanding. I mean, the kit-based programs have been around for a long time. And when we worked with elementary teachers, what we found was a big barrier was just the actual materials management issue. So a lot of the kits that exist that are not my side drop off the kits one time and then teachers and schools are expected to figure out how to replenish those supplies once they run out. And so one of the biggest strengths of my side is that we drop the kit off quarterly and then we pick it up, bring it back, drop the next one off fresh and ready to go, refurbish that one. Um, and so that they're getting a fresh kit that's ready to go every single year for every single unit. Um, and I, that also allows us to be smart with how we spend resources because um, like a kit could be used in Hazelwood one quarter and then sent to Parkway another quarter so that we're sharing resources in the region um, rather than it sitting in a school being unused for half a year. So that's one possible barrier. I mean, I think another one is really about self-efficacy and confidence. A lot of our teachers you know, teaching in this new way is really challenging and it's new for many teachers and it's not the way that they've learned science. Um, and so I think that providing teachers with the tools, um, both the curriculum and the professional development is really key to overcoming that barrier. Yeah, and I think that, you know, in hearing you talk about this, it really makes me wonder if uh, some of the partnerships that I know you are probably already pursuing definitely being a part of WashU, but certainly with other uh, pre-service teacher programs, getting them before they even get into the field so that this is just a natural part of their thought process because this whole, it's not the way it was done when I was a student. Well, yeah, we're trying to improve that. <laughs> you know, we're trying to make it better. So um, especially, you know, related to science. So, and some people had a great science education when they were young, but a lot of people I know just really didn't have that. And uh, so you're right. I mean, especially with the, sort of subscription kit model. I mean, how our economy runs on that these days. You know, we don't even cook anymore, a lot of us. We just, um, meal kits sent out and, uh, geez, I rent clothes and we can buy kits that show up with clothes. I mean, there's like almost nothing that you, you know, even need to bother going into a store now if you don't like it. It just gets rotated out. And so I wonder if with us getting into that kind of uh, general thought process as a culture, if that you know, maybe helpful, you know, for teachers to think about this a little more. It could be. I think that with the new standards, all of a sudden it's just like, oh my gosh, we really need to be doing things differently. Yeah. So I think that that's been part of the reason for our success over the past couple of years too. Yeah. Yeah, and it's good that you're having those conversations too around ELA and math standards. I mean, that none of these kits operate in a, a science bubble. No learning ever really does. If you look at it closely enough, there's always other disciplines that are involved there. So, okay, cool. So let's wrap this up then by talking about what are some of the events coming up that teachers you think should probably be looking for? So I would say First and foremost on my mind is NFTA in St. Louis on April 11th through 14th. So if you have a chance to go to the National Science Teachers Association Conference, you absolutely should. There are tons of vendors and 
like freebies that you can get and great sessions where you can learn things and we will be presenting. So we're going to present a session on teachers utilizing the principles of next generation science standards, three-dimensional learning themselves. So teachers acting as scientists to improve or enhance their own classroom outcomes by using planning and carrying out investigations, analyzing data, uh, cross-cutting concepts like patterns and cause and effect. Um, so I'm really excited about that session. Um, and we will also be at the elementary extravaganza on Friday at NSTA with Maplewood teachers who are my side teachers. So please, if you're going to NSTA, please attend that event and get some great lesson ideas from us and other people. Um, the National Science Education Leadership Association, or NACELA, is also having a conference uh, the day before NSTA. So we're going to, I'm going to present on the MySci model at that conference. We have a lot of great summer activities coming up for MySci teachers. So you'll, if you're a MySci teacher and you're listening, be on the lookout for an email uh, from myself or your science coordinator describing some leadership opportunities and some MySci PD opportunities. And there's also a code.org workshop coming up for elementary teachers looking to incorporate teaching computer science. So visit isp.wustl.edu, isp.wustl.edu to find that event, as well as lots of other events that ISP is always putting on. So basically nothing is coming up. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. We're so bored. You guys got nothing. We have nothing to do. You got nothing going on. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Okay, and thank you for sharing uh, all of those ideas, dates, and resources. Guys, don't worry about it. If you did not get the dates or you're driving in your car, I will link everything in the show notes. So let's go ahead and wrap up. I always like to close with, you know, a couple of very casual questions. Uh, so I want to ask you guys first, question number one, we will grow as a region when, go ahead and finish that sentence for me. Uh, when we approach the world with curiosity, uh, value what everyone brings to the table uh, in order to co-create a better future. Ah, uh, yes, that's always the dream, isn't it? Okay, <laughs> I love to recharge by doing what? Uh, so this is Rachel, and I love to recharge by going to Yoga Hour at Southtown Yoga in Lafayette Square. I go every single week on Sunday, so maybe I'll see some of you there. It's an amazing place. Do I don't do ever anything? recharge. I don't know. I need to find something. I, I don't know. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> you just walk into the warehouse and Google just, the aisle of your supplies, yeah, don't you? <laughs> that is the favorite aisle of your place. Uh, you know what? To be fair, when I was in San Diego... Just yesterday, I, you know, going outside and being out in nature is really my jam. So anytime I get to learn some new weird organism like a limpet, which I probably learned about at some point but forgot about, um, or a, a, a chitin, I mean, that was amazing. So learning new things about nature and being out in nature, that's, that's my jam. Aw, you're just a cute little science nerd, aren't you? I, yeah, truly, truly I am, yeah. <laughs> Good. Welcome to the club. Okay. So if you could pick one song to play when you enter the room, what would it be? So my favorite bands are Radiohead and Arcade Fire. So to the like one or two people who are listening who also like that, those bands, shout out. Um, I can't pick one song from them. And so I just was trying to think of a different song and what popped into my head first is the Daria theme song. I don't know if you, did you guys ever watch Daria? Of course. <laughs> okay, so she's, she's one of my, you know, patronuses or whatever you call it in Harry Potter. She's <laughs> nice. my girl. 
<laughs> Rachel, do you have a different one or do you like genies? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard for me to think about this. I think people generally think of me as being like not very up to speed with pop culture, including music. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's very true. Uh, so, you know, I was worried that you were going to ask me and I was like, well, you know, recently I spent a lot of time listening to the Pokemon theme song. Oh God, no. I have a song that's really all about it. And so I often think if I was going to walk in the room, I would like really want to make him happy. And he would be just so thrilled if he knew that I would like to play that song. (laughs) I think that's perfect. I think that's a good answer. I don't care that you don't know pop culture. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Besides, I mean, you're way too busy practicing tree pose to worry about that. So you're good. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you very much to Jeannie Norris and Dr. Rachel Girello. Um, So great to have you guys. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day and sharing this with us. Everybody, I will definitely have all those resources for you. If you are doing worksheet packets over and over again, stop it. There is a fantastic resource in town and I will link it to all of you. Thank you guys very much for coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, everyone, I hope you heard something new and useful today. If you want to learn more or have an idea for a future episode of Rotten Apple, just go to educatestl.org or you'll find resources and links from today's chat and fun news and event information for educators all over the STL. Thanks for listening and connecting with all of us Rotten Apples and for doing what you can to get better every single day. See you soon.